Jesse Smollett? Can we not? No, it's... Yeah. I had it right. I had it right. <laughs> Nick Sandman lawsuit. That sounds like a uh, 21 Pilots name. Right? <laughs> Blasphemy laws, lynching. Are they connected? And we also got Two. Matt Truella. Matt Truella. And Dr. Dunn coming on the show. Two interviews. Welcome to Cross Politic. Make sure you guys share the show. You notice I didn't say y'all. That was, that was for Knox. He's I, like, he's I like come up with a different intro. Join us. Pull up a chair. Watch this. Around these. Join our table. We're just a bunch of ratty Presbyterians mixing the taboo formula of faith, culture, and politics. Bringing the clarity of the gospel into muddle America. We're, we're going to talk about this. Yes. We're going to talk about this. So, Welcome. Last week, I told Pastor Toby I'd like to see his face when he talks instead of his green mug. Hey. And he told me how much he loves his green mug. i got to be drinking coffee up and, in here. Yeah, okay. Uh, if you're going to. If you're going to put your mug up there, I'm not going to make you any coffee. <laughs> and you know, I got that cross politics. Thank you very much, but I made my own But is it coffee. made by a black man? <laughs> who makes cross-politic coffee. Come on, let's be honest. Uh, that's very different, I'm isn't just it? saying. No comment. Yeah. Of course, no comment. if you guys don't know this already, we're on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Thank you for our club members. You guys are getting some great content in our portal mm. that is just dropping weekly. I'm enjoying Thank it. you. Talking Doc is like driving me like a slave driver. He's like, another problem study, another problem study, another problem. <laughs> we're doing five today. You know what the sad news is? It's not for anybody else. It's just for me. Just <laughs> I need a more. I need more of it. Oh Have you gracious. guys been following the, the Jesse, not not Jesse, the Jesse Molette story? Jesse Molette story. I haven't seen it anywhere. So if you guys don't know, he's an actor on Fox's The Empire. Pretty famous. Never, never pretty heard famous of show. Pretty famous black gay actor. Is it? Uh-huh. Is it? Uh-huh. The show, yeah. show done well. Show done well. All so. right. Well, he claimed this this happened back in at the end of January. January twenty nine. Right? He January claimed 29. that two guys walked up to him at two AM in the morning on windy, cold Chicago streets and they had homoslobic fur uh, slurs first. Homoslobic? Homoslobic first. <laughs> I actually love when he that does was, that. That was incredible. I really do love when he uh, does that. Smollett said he was hit mm. and unknown chemical substance was poured on him. He, he, of course, he went and reported this to the cops. He filed a police there report. Was a, they said, he said that a rope was wrapped around his neck before the attackers fled. And then he went and admitted himself to a hospital. Wow. Mm. Um, he was he was discharged in the hospital, said he was doing fine. Oh, good. Well, all right. So we've all been kind of following this. I mean, it's been, this has been going on for almost a month now, three weeks now. Well, Jesse Smollett, it's turned, at least there's a, a very good evidence that he, this, this is a hoax, that he made this up. So he, he wrote a check. $3,500. He wrote a check to two Nigerian brothers. What do you think he put in the memo? <laughs> We haven't seen the check yet. That's, that's right. We all right. All right. So this last Thursday, Jesse, Jesse, uh, surrendered to face a felony charge for filing a false police report after staging the fake assault a week after writing himself a threatening letter. So apparently, <laughs> he, a week before the assault, he wrote a threatening letter and put uh, to, to his crushed studio. up aspirin to his studio. To his studio, put crushed up aspirin in the letter and sent it to his studio. <clears throat> apparently, that <clears throat> was also staged. allegedly. Allegedly, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I said apparently. Yeah, okay. All right. And then hired two. <laughs> Did you see that Chicago police chief? He came out Man. hard. He came out hard. He was not happy. And he said he said that this publicity is a scar that Chicago did not earn. Yeah. Really, did not earn. Come I on, mean, come on, Chicago. Drug it through the mud. I think he said. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that. I was like, listen, Chicago is so far underneath the ground that if they got drug <laughs> through the mud, it's a good day for Chicago. It's, it's, com- it's, <laughs> it's coming, up. coming up, man. I mean, he, he noted. You know, he said the difficulty the city and the nation have already had. 
coming together. Yeah. And now you do this hoax. Yeah. Um, he says uh, these false accusations of of with racist symbols. Like, why did you, you know, a yep. noose around his neck, rope around his neck? Because yep. it works. Um, these <laughs> these slurs. Yep. He says, I'm doing this is trying to manipulate people to do injustice. And it does injustice to real victims. Yeah. 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 Which, so, is, I mean, which is true. Regardless yep. of the facts of the case for Smollett. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, he's right. He's absolutely false right. accusations yep. do injustice to real victims. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, me too. Anyone? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Always believe the women. Kavanaugh's back there, like he right. He right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, and, and this is a problem with due process. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's and, right. and this is why we're trying to hold the brakes on Gabe. Mm-hmm. You can't convict him yet. Mm-hmm. Everybody already has. Apparently. Well. Well. Also. So to to Jesse's point, he. Um, actually released a statement after he turned himself in. Him and his lawyer released a statement saying, today we witnessed an organized law enforcement spectac- spectacle that has no place in the American legal system. And I actually agree. So and we, and then he says, the presumption of innocence, a bedrock in the search for justice, was trampled on at the expense of Mr. Smollett and notably on the eve of a mayoral election. Hey, that's you good. think that, you think that connected? I, I actually agree huh. with him on this. Yeah. yeah. What... Um, in what world, in what universe could act, should could Mr. Smollett, Jesse Smollett, have a fair trial now? He, he can't. Everybody's mm. like, hey, where are you going to find jurors that haven't already made up their yeah. mind? Mm. You can't because the national public media has was, already decided. Was that, the police chief out of line? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, I, I think what should have happened. But was, he's black. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so is Jesse. Mm. Right. Okay. But, mm. no, but what should have happened was like said we found this evidence this is what the evidence is pointing us to and so i'm going to give it over now to the district attorney right the district attorney can the police are supposed right. to remain neutral and, and find the evidence and give it to the lawyer both attorneys right and let them choose so they watch, are not to be saying i shame on you that you would do this to chicago yeah. he's already passed yeah, he, judgment. he mm-hmm. was the judge and jury in that press conference right. absolutely. Wow. And, absolutely and and so this is the thing that christians you got to watch is that um this i mean we're in it yeah. We're talking about the mud. Fox We're News to watch it too because they're doing exactly what they say they didn't like with Kavanaugh. Exactly, wow. and you can't yep. just get up and cheer yeah. when it's when it's the other team. Right, right. If you believe in due process, yeah, then you have got to practice it. Yep. So they got two. They got two witnesses. Yeah, maybe and, three. and it looks like they probably can convict him. Yep. Yeah. But what it's done is it's turning it over to the mob. That's right. And even mm-hmm. if it's even if he's guilty. It's not justice to turn it over to the mob. Is this right. like a lynch mob? Can we call it a lynch mob? Because <laughs> that's what they're doing. Actually, you know, that's what Kamala that's, Harris mm-hmm. said. Yep. Uh, Kamala? Kamala? Kamala. 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 It's Kamala, I think. It's got an A in there. It might be right. Kamala. <laughs> it's got an A in there. Toby's pastor voice. It's on, got an A in there. On January 29th, <laughs> on January 29th hours after it went public, yep. she tweeted, she's senator from California, Democratic presidential hopeful. Candidate. <laughs> Yep. Candidate. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. When you do that, you it makes me want to open my mouth a little bit. I'll, I'll give you warning next time before <laughs> I say that. She she tweets, this was an attempted modern day lynching. Wow. Hey, you agree wow. with her. Or she agrees with you. Um, no she, one, she's, ta- she's talking about she's the talking wrong about, way. She's talking about Justice Smollett. Not- <laughs> no one should have to fear for their life because of their sexuality or color of their yep. skin. We must confront this hate. Yep. Mm. Now, when Harris... Mm. And most folks say we must confront this hate. She means the state needs to confront this hate. Right. right. Because she she doesn't mean that whoever is struggling with this sin needs pastoral counseling. That's right. No, she, no. She's not thinking about calling yeah. well, Jesse Mo- that's pastor. Well, yeah, she, she's actually or doing, dad. <laughs> 
she, she's doing exactly what the liberals say they hate, which is merging church and state, right? Like this is the merger of church and state happening right in front of you. She does want a pastor. She just wants the state to be the pastor, right? right. She's right. creating a, the this religion. Is what state, of, this is what statists believe. It's religion. Statists believe in the state. That's right. right. That is their religion. It's, mm-hmm. it's, not like you, it's not like you can actually banish religion from the public square. It's mm-hmm. impossible. That's you right. cannot banish religion from the public square. There's no neutrality. It's always a question of, um, whether, not whether, but which, which, yeah. which right. God do we serve? Who are our high priests? Yeah. Um, what is holy? What is sacred? What is blasphemy? Yeah. Right. There's a theocracy already people. What is good? <laughs> what is evil? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we already right. live in a theocracy. Right. Right. And so what we're arguing here is that the state punishes the beating. Right, the state punishes the attack. Although I'm not the sure, church. I'm not sure what the civil cr- penalty is for paying somebody to beat you up. Lying. Well, well let's say if we're yeah. just we're giving Jesse yeah, okay. some, right. some deference here. Well, because, so the state's job is to punish the the, the beating, crime. the crime. Well, it's actually it's, a crime. It's not the state's job to punish the hate. That's right. Right. Because hate is a sin. Yep. Right. They can't punish that. It's yep. not a crime That's because right. the the state is mm-hmm. not equipped to to. To see what's going on in, in Jesse's heart That's yeah. right. and what's motivating him. Mm-hmm. The state is supposed to judge objectively what happened and then impose biblical criminal sanctions. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want to say, too, that having a church is inescapable as well. You know, when you think about this, they do want to they understand that hate's a problem and they're trying to figure out a way to yeah. deal with it. Because you can't escape morality. They can't escape morality, but they you need a church. Yeah, you need you have to pastors. Have the, mm-hmm. This sphere sovereignty thing, the church, state, of all four spheres, yeah. self. We're going to talk to Matt Truhell in a little bit. I, I, that's yeah. what I'm setting that up for. Oh. All, all four spheres that are there, <laughs> thank you. I, I don't mind if I set it up and you knock it out. <laughs> but you you can't escape having all four of those spheres. Right. Self-government, yeah. right. uh, family government, yeah. civil government, yeah. and mm-hmm. then a church. But, and the only question is, is whether we will submit to God and and establish those distinct sovereign spheres yeah. and honor them right. and honor their limits. That's right. Or they're going to all get blended and merged, it's, and you will necessarily end up with tyranny and chaos. Truella actually says this in a book, his book, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates. Right. Um, you, you you end up with one mammoth. Yeah. That then is trying to be pastor and dad and mm-hmm. mom That's and right. elder and counselor and friend and police chief. Right. All at the same time. And it's messed up. That's yeah. right. Absolutely. Um, so, so, but we don't actually have blasphemy laws in the U.S., do we? <laughs> actually, we do. What? Yeah. Have no. you guys been paying attention? What? No, we actually brought this up on the show. We did. Talk about this. Yeah. We talked about this on the show. Um, we just got a unanimously passed bill by the Senate. Remember the anti-lynching law we talked about a few weeks ago? We, you know, oh yeah, Camilla Harris and Cory Booker. Yeah, wait a second, right. we just talked right. about them. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Did Amazing. we? No, that's right. No, we got to give it to Chuck. We got to give it to Chuck. Yeah. Okay. He told us on the show. I'm pretty sure you said this. You were like, I got a bad feeling about this. Okay. No, you, you. That made, was me. No, no, it oh. was Toby. He, he actually. <laughs> no, put, <laughs> he's no, 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 no. It was Pastor it Toby. It was all of us. Pastor, we were talking about lynching, and we were talking. We made our own conversation about yeah. it, and yeah. then you said, "I'm bet there's more behind this." And I am uh-huh. super cynical. Like, I wish I had less. Yeah, I love your Because this uh, sounds like virtue but when he signaling. said that, something's going on, it right? nagged yeah. me. It uh-huh. just kept nagging me. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't help it. You pulled up the bill. <laughs> you pulled up the bill. You nagged me. Let, let me, let me re- I got some of the bill. Do you got some of the bill? Yeah, I got some of it right here. Go for it. Yeah. He says, he, uh, so the bill reads, it's talking about this anti-lynching bill. It was passed in December, and it was it's brought up again in the House Justice again. for Victims of Lynching Act of 2018 yes. is the title of it. So here you go. Offenses involving actual or perceived race, actual or perceived Race, color, religion, or national origin. Right. Any kind of assault. If two or more persons that. willfully cause bodily injury to any person. So it has to have two people involved. Um, it, 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 here's the punishment. 
be, uh, injury to any other person because of an actual perceived race, color, religion, or national origin of any person. Each shall be imprisoned not more than 10 years, fine in accordance with this title, or both bodily injuries results from the offenses. Each shall be imprisoned for any term of years or for, or for life. life. For life, fine in accordance with it and so forth. The second part of this if, is... If death results from the offense or if the offense right, includes right. kidnapping or aggravated sexual abuse. Yeah, they wouldn't get that on abortion, but they get that with this. Okay, oh, anyway. Man, uh, the <laughs> second part, offenses involving actual or perceived religion, national origin, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, or disability. Yep. And then the same uh, the same things. offenses apply. Right. The, the, the thing is, is that... So this is, this is hate crime legislation. Right, mm-hmm. right. This mm-hmm. is the state... Acting in place of the church That's right. mm-hmm. and the family and saying we are, I mean, they are legislating morality. And they're doing it very, very don't, badly. Don't you remember when people used to say you can't legislate morality? Keep your laws off my body. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> but this is what's crazy. It says actual offenses or, or perceived. perceived. Yeah. yeah. You know, but and, that gets into the hate. But, but even so, even so, 10 years, let's, let's just say for a second they might have had some. They're still judging it wrong. 10 years? Or life. Or life? How about how about we do what the Bible says and you put it back right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, put it back right. That, see, this is what happens. So the state, I mean, all through the Bible, the imagery of the state is actually it's a wild beast. Mm. So mm-hmm. the state in like Daniel, he sees the image of the beasts mm-hmm. coming out of the sea and those beasts represent the nation's empires. Right. So at best, civil government is a good dog. A guard dog, a watchdog. <laughs> right. uh, you know, best. it's it's like a you know one of those bear dogs or yeah. something like that. Yeah. You know, it barks loud. Rawr, 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 rawr. You know, and it, it's, it, you know, and it'll go after you and chase you off the property. Yeah, it'll punish evil doers and it protects the innocent. Yeah, that's yeah. what it does at best. Yeah. Yeah. it doesn't pastor people. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. it doesn't father yeah. people. Right. It doesn't mother people. It right. doesn't do what we need. We're human beings, people. Uh-huh. This it's like it's like if you think the state does, it's like treating everything with chemo. Like you got a scratch, chemo. Yeah, that's right. You broke your leg, chemo. chemo. You got a headache, chemo. Mm. It's like okay, maybe there's some stuff that's you know good for chemo. Yeah, but you need band aids and you need neosporin and you need to go to sleep and you need yeah. some Gatorade and you mm. need. This is you know part of the problem with this too is that Christians are behind stuff. When I had talked to Christians, they even use the language hate crimes. Mm. You know, and I think one of the things about this bill that bothered me is not that the liberals are necessarily doing this. I get that, but when we have guys that are on our team that are actually a part of Signing off on the bill so far, like Ted Cruz. Who's wait? Who who sponsored? He, he this was bill? part of the sponsor. Ted Cruz, a sponsor. A Marco Rubio, Senator Ted. Uh, Ted. Tim. Tim. Tim Scott out of South Carolina. A number of Republican sponsored. When this. you told me about this, I jumped on. I was yeah. trying to find a voting record. I can't find a voting record on any. But I want to know: Did Ben Sass vote for this? Mm. I hope not. I mean, it's. Mm. All the news outlets are saying it was unanimous. But see, this is well, yeah. And, and so, so they at least didn't object. We do need to clarify that this hasn't gone to the House yet. The House is not picked up, so it hasn't passed. It was passed Senate unanimously. It's now in the House's lap. Thankfully, uh, Trump's kept the House kind of tied up with like, I'm not not signing your stupid uh, budget bill. I need a wall. Pelosi ain't looking at this yet. (laughs) but, but, But notice, I mean, it's a little hard. I mean, catch this. Kamala Harris, Cory Booker is, these are the co-sponsors, lead sponsors. They're tweeting right after the Jesse yes. Smollett yep. thing. Yes. This is a modern day lynching. Yep. I mean, they're I'm, quoting. I'm, they're quoting their I'm, bill. I'm, they're I'm quoting their bill. Not to connect those two. I, yeah. I'm not a, <laughs> exactly. I'm not a conspiracy but, yep. um, theorist. But, we, we, but, we house. We need to pass this bill because of Jesse. Right. So now right it goes here. to the house, yeah. and then yeah. it has to be signed by Donald Trump. Wow. Um, yep. The house is, of course, a majority Democrat, likely to pass there. I mean, I think we need like Donald Trump. Don't sign it. 
Yeah. I mean, somebody right. needs to start raising the alarm and saying this is this is hate crime legislation. Yeah. This is legislating morality, and it's a bad morality because it establishes um, gender identity, perceived yeah. gender identity, yep. um, mm-hmm. sexual orientation, mm-hmm. and these things as things that you can't that. Um, this yeah yeah well, this is a gun it's establishing yeah, the validity right. of those um, orientations. Well, yep. and this is a gun yep. they're going to use eventually right. to come at us. This is what the, it's the plan. The church, that's, yeah, eventually, yeah. That's what right. that's what the whole. And of, you guys, and of course, you guys, your words are lynching me, Pastor. And, and of course, we are not defending violence right. against transgenders or homosexuals. No, no, we want real justice in the slightest. We want, yeah. yeah, absolutely. But this is incrementally. Coming at us. Yeah, yeah. Actually, they already are yeah. protected by the law, just so you know that. Know. Transgender people, homosexuals, they're already protected by the law. Right. You can't just go beat up somebody. Right. That's right. They're yeah. actually protected yeah. by God's law. That's right. Murder yeah. is murder. Murder yeah. is right. Assault is assault. You, yeah. We're not elevating right. as uh, no, no. That's so that's, that's not, not the, the point. point. No. Wow. But here, I do want to talk about this real quick. So Jesse has done this, and we need to work this out. We need to know how to deal with this. Yeah. What does if Jesse is found guilty, what does he owe? And who hmm. does he owe? Right. But what, yeah, what did he do? And, and so the question, so he, what's, he, what's, he what's basically the lied. It's, a, it's an elaborate lie. Right. Yep. Um, he's drug people's name to the mud if he's and, found guilty. And, and the closest thing I think that that comes to in terms of a crime yeah. is um, a, a form of libel. Um, it's, he, he's, he's, that. he's, uh, it's, it's knowingly lying about, uh, to defame someone's reputation. Right. It, it's actually, caused damage. Causes damage. And it's a form of theft as well. So, and, and so biblically, thou shalt not, Lie against yeah. bear false witness. Bear false witness. Thy neighbor. So he filed a false police report. Yeah. He stole time from these police officers. That's right. He stole trust. Yep. From the the law enforcement. Uh-huh. Yeah. He he, he he stole um uh well his colleagues he might have stolen their jobs. Well he yeah, he could he could have, <laughs> sure. he, could have made it he, he could leave a black mark. I mean he, uh, the 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 show police, might stop. The police chief said that it left a scar in Chicago, well, but, but maybe there's scars elsewhere. There, and there's a domino effect where people have used this, and he's used this directly to hit Donald Trump, the president, right? So then it's also creating, making your brothers who are, or white brothers who are not guilty of anything look far right. more guilty because they support Trump. So right. defaming a lot of different ways. But here's the thing. In order for it to be uh, established and prosecuted rightly, biblically, um, it has to be black and white. So right. it can't yeah. just be like, I, a feel, whole bunch of, I feel like, right. I feel like he got me. Yeah, but if you, but also too though, if you see somebody walking around with a mega hat in Chicago, all of a sudden you become afraid of those two guys too, right? Well, they might. You can't quantify that. I I know. It's it's sort of like trying to do reparations. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I agree. At the same time, but I would say wherever he owes him apology and nothing less. At least an apology. That's what I'm saying. If if he's guilty, if he's found guilty, guilty. and I would say he needs to pay back the time that was, um, you know, the hospital, um, the police chief. uh, There, there can be, I think, a, a reasonable quantitative damages could be assessed yeah. mm-hmm. to the amount of time lost and and damages done yeah but that's you know that's it what's it and, and then he's done well this brings me too to the sandman case right now that's happening so uh <laughs> the coming the covington case yeah. right covington case. Yeah. so the, the, now the, he's suing so how much is he suing for 250 million to the washington post go get him go get him for, <laughs> get him. for liable get him. and no. slander for liable and slander I, he, I, he he got lynched Whoa. Publicly, okay, all right, and he's pulling in Cory Booker's bill. Um, but but the do they owe him two hundred and fifty million dollars? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> but no, no. They, I don't think they owe him two hundred fifty million dollars. Washington Post, 
Um, well, they definitely need need to retract their story and, and then need, they, and yes. then relate uh, release a new story about the kid. And they need so if they need now, to how do they fix, get that number? They need to, yeah, exactly. They need to fix what they broken. Yeah, and then they need to make it better than what it was before they broke right, it. So the biblical yeah. standard okay. is that if you take something, you give it back yeah. with with uh, a fifth with the twenty percent. Yeah. Um, if you take something that's very hard to replace, uh-huh. you have to start replacing it at double or triple or even sometimes up to four or five times yeah. according to the biblical law this uh-huh. is in exodus 22 i think or 21 okay um and so if you steal somebody's car that they use for their business yeah. you probably are going to have to replace not only the car but the, you you stole days of work yeah, yeah. wages they lost wages, so, it, so it's yeah. multiplied by two or three or four but you or five have to make yeah. an account for what that is but and that, bring it but judges have to look at it carefully inquire yeah. and yeah. figure that out yeah i don't know where 250 million dollars came from yeah, and I don't. I, I I think there's a lot of conservative knee jerk that's like, yeah, go get them. Right. Of course, we want to see Washington Post take a hit. I mean, yeah. it looks to me like there is a a, a plausible case there for libel. Mm-hmm. So back to the libel. Yeah. Yeah. But what they have to prove is actually a malicious intent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they have to they have to prove that um, that they that he that they knowingly published mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. defaming. Lies comments mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yep. or that they and i think the secondary um, requirement for libel is they were intentionally reckless with the truth right. that's yeah. the other possibility and, and, that's, that's well, and, and the other thing the other thing that's got to be stated here is if he wins this case what happens when the church preaches against the homosexual the sin of homosexuality and defames a particular homosexual right. or whatever especially and, with the and, hate crime and coming and up this right? is the thing that we need and to, then the church could be sued 250 million dollars christians conservatives yep. we have to be careful about the plays we're being invited into yeah. That's right. oh, so so, so the, the hate crime hoaxes are worth pointing out yep. Absolutely. but we also have to say we ain't playing that game that's right yep. hate crime isn't a thing that's right. right because if we try to prosecute it as a hate crime yep. we're establishing the, yep. the hate, reality hate of crimes it. don't but, exist but this is why you got to give your kids a christian education <laughs> Right, you can do that. I'm turning it because our one of our corporate sponsors, Learnly.me. If you're a homeschooler, listen to me. We have an app for you, Learnly.me. With Learnly, <laughs> you can capture your family's learning experience anytime, anywhere, and it's all pushed into a digital portfolio that allows you to create classes, grade work, a family learning experience, and generate transcripts. Go to Learnly.me forward slash cross politic. Get a 50 percent off three months monthly scripted plan. Joshua done! Because <laughs> we done! You totally did it. You just turned on. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Classical Conversations supports homeschooling parents by cultivating the love of learning through a Christian worldview in fellowship with other families. We provide a classical, Christ-centered curriculum, local, like-minded communities across the United States and in several countries, and we train parents who are striving to be great classical educators in the home. For more information and to get connected, please visit our website at classicalconversations.com. Classical, Christian, get connected, get community. If you need a little red meat in your diet, Pastor Doug Wilson. When the Constitution of the United States was adopted, the First Amendment addressed the issue of an established church at the federal level. But this did not address the Christendom question. It has been made to address it by means of revisionist history, but originally it had nothing whatever to do with it. The Constitution forbade a Church of the United States on federal grounds, not on secular grounds. The document was dated in the year of our Lord, 1789. And at the time it was adopted, nine out of the 13 states had established churches on the state level. There was no sense in which the non-establishment clause was violated by those states having official state religions. 
to enjoy more red meat of this kind, check out the podcast on iTunes or for more blogging of this particular nature, blog and may blog at dougwills.com. Kind of sticks in your teeth, don't it? Final week. No, it's Gene Week. (laughs) Gene Week. I don't know what I got on. Hey, welcome back to Cross Politic on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Mm. This segment is brought to you by the bad boys at Tapped. Oh, yes. Tapped. Thank yep. you, Jesus. It's, uh, it's, it's, they're serving it's, burgers and beer in and, Moscow, Idaho. If you're coming into town for the Grace Agenda Conference, Ooh. check them out. They have Tapped. angels cooking in the back. Maybe you don't know that. Angels? <laughs> yeah. Bring yeah. It, cooking your food in the background? Oh, taste of heaven. <laughs> How many beers do they have on tap? I don't even know. It's, well, it's amazing. But we have with us on the line right now, Professor Dr. Joshua Dunn, mm. uh, not to be confused with Josh Dunn, the uh, 21 Pilots, 21 Pilots drummer. <laughs> uh, Dr. Dunn is professor and chair of the Department of Political Science and director of the Center for the Study of Government and the Individual at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. Mm. He has research and teaching interests in public law, education policy and political theory. His books include Complex Justice from Schoolhouse to Courthouse. Wow. He also writes a quarterly article on law and education for the journal Education Next. Previously, he taught at the College of William and Mary and was a fellow in contemporary history, public policy, and American politics at the Miller Center of Public Affairs in Charlottesville, Virginia. His latest book is co-authored with John Shields. It's called Passing on the Right, Conservative Professors in the Progressive University. Oh, well, up until then, I thought he was a liberal until you wrote uh, that. <laughs> Josh, thanks for joining us on CrossPolitik. Thanks for having me. So in a recent TED Talk, you described how conservatives have become uh, these endangered species in the modern university. You interviewed 153, is that right, 153 conservative professors? Yes. And yeah, there, There's that many? Professors and, and, yeah. yeah uh, <laughs> All of them. Actually, that was... The second person we interviewed, when we told him what he asked, well, what are you doing? He said, well, we want to interview about 150 uh, conservative or libertarian professors in the social sciences humanities. And he just looked at us and uh, asked, uh, are you going to raise the dead? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Turned out to be a pretty good question, particularly for some fields. You you describe many of them as, you know, talking about themselves as being in the closet or being afraid of being outed by their fellow professors (laughs) or denied tenure. In your TED talk, you described this one professor who was only willing to be interviewed far away from all his colleagues hiding in a botanical garden. Wow. Yeah, that that was that was an unusual. Yeah, that was an unusual experience. He really was like spy work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He at first he wouldn't he wouldn't agree to talk to us at all, and then we kind of. He's actually very afraid when we contacted him. He yeah. He he was wondering how we found out who he was, and uh, yeah, he thought wow. he'd be outed and and he'd be denied tenure, and so we talked him back from the ledge. You know, he's getting very, wow. very nervous, and uh, but then he he yeah you know, would would only meet uh, in the middle of this botanical garden. <laughs> It was, a, it was a very interesting experience. So, so you point out that modern universities trumpet the word diversity, especially in areas of sexuality, race, ethnicity. And then you point out that we have very little what you call viewpoint diversity. So what do you mean by viewpoint diversity and why is that important? 
Yeah, so I, a, a very simple explanation would be anyone who dissents from the kind of predominant uh, left-wing liberal or progressive orthodoxy that you have on on most college campuses. So that would be viewpoint uh, viewpoint diversity. I mean, even in the universities, you know, like a moderate Democrat would be someone considered uh, radically conservative by by most standards. Wow. Uh, so just having people, for instance, who think that well, you know, may, maybe the government actually isn't uh, terribly effective at uh, planning an economy. Um, you know, that, that would be an example of viewpoint diversity. Uh, anyone who uh, believes in traditional understanding of sexual ethics uh, or, um, you know, on abortion, for instance, is pro-life. Yeah. Th- these people are far, far outside the mainstream in, in the academy. And there's really almost no one there, at, ma- at least in many departments and schools, to... Uh, defend those positions. And so what happens is that most people just kind of assume that everyone on campus agrees with them. And so mm. they, they're never actually forced to actually defend what they believe. Mm. So so, so it seems like you'd be arguing for that we, we need way more conservative thinking to help challenge that thought. Correct? Oh, yes. I think, yeah, I, I, I think there's, there's no doubt about that. And very importantly, there are many progressives who have started to make this argument. As John and I point out in the book, that you know, progressives rule the university. So if there isn't going to be any change, it's going to have to come from progressives. And so you do see progressives, people like Jonathan Haidt, who started Heterox Academy, yep, yep, yep. Uh, who said, look, uh, the, there are really bad consequences for the university. And so out of our own self-interest, we should try to increase viewpoint diversity. Uh, <laughs> it's terrible for teaching. Um <laughs> damages students quite literally if you're going to try and go out and live in a pluralistic society it might be useful to be exposed to what maybe half the population believes <laughs> um and then for researchers uh, it, you have this this overwhelming power of confirmation bias mm-hmm. and so you know people just adhere to, to things that are actually false in many, in many cases right. and then it can take decades for these these things that uh, these academic elites have believed to be true to actually be exposed as, as not being true and then for them to actually correct their uh, their understanding. Yeah, there's a lot of damage that can happen in the process of that, too. So then help me figure out something. If you had to make your own diverse, your own university, what type of diversity uh, would you have? Call it 21 Pilots University. What would be your faculty <laughs> makeup? How would you build the perfect university? Like how many liberals, oh, how many goodness. conservatives, yeah. how many blacks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. lots of blacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I actually, um, yeah, I, I would in a way reject the premise that there is a perfect university. Because I think you have, I do think you have to think about diversity in a few ways. Uh, and I do think that viewpoint diversity is the most kind of, uh, uh, the most important kind of diversity that, that, you, that you want to foster. But then you can also have institutional diversity. So for instance, I don't mind there being campuses that are explicitly uh, left-wing. If they, if they want to make that their, their part of their mission, then you have truth in advertising with that. People know sure. what, what yeah. they're getting into. Yeah. And I think the problem with a contemporary university is that they like to pat themselves on the back uh, about their tolerance and support for diversity, and you don't have any really meaningful diversity, that is, people who actually uh, think different things. So uh, you know, if I were to have like a standard uh, state, let's say a state university, I would certainly want a decent mix of people on uh, on all sides of the political of the political divide. I also understand that look, uh, the university has always been considered, at least since its modern 
version developed in the early part of the 20th century, late part of the 19th century. It's always been con- considered a kind of left-wing institution. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're never going to have in your, your typical, say, state institution or a secular private institution a, a significant uh, or anything close, uh, approximate or coming close to, say, even um, – Know, parody, political parody on the faculty. But what I think we really need is at least uh, to, I mean, to use the language of affirmative action, uh, you know, enough people around so that you can actually uh, have a, a conversation about these uh, about these different ideas. So that's what like, I would say. It sounds um, like the better way to do this you know, would be to get government funding out of the college world so you can actually, um, a university can do what they want, they can hire you know, whatever teachers they want, and and there's no forcing some sort of affirmative action in the university, um, right? I mean, you know, kind of privatize. Yeah, so it depends. I, you know, for for private institutions, I you know I think you know government money always comes with uh, government strength. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah, ropes. Harvard's starting to <laughs> you know Harvard's starting to learn that they're being sued. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but then you know, for state institutions, there's there's always going to be some public money. I mean, if nothing else, just they're, they're you know. Uh, it's public land, and they get mm-hmm. different kinds of benefits. You know, my, I, I teach at a state institution, and you know, we don't get a lot of state funding, but we, there's still significant benefits that come from, right. being, from being a state institution. And so then you're going to have, you know, public institution therefore comes with some some public rules. Sure. Um, but even with those public rules, there's nothing that prevents uh, a state university from actually living up to its own principles that are are the you know espousing right that they support uh real diversity and then you know actually putting that into practice josh if if there's if you say though that a university system is just going to be heavily left wing that's just the way it's going to be aren't you necessarily then also saying that the products of those universities will necessarily be predominantly left wing i mean aren't isn't that what we're setting ourselves up for uh, I, actually, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, there's, there's been some research on this showing that classes that are clearly designed to indoctrinate, <laughs> and we can. It's pretty easy to identify those. Uh, that actually, that they sometimes have uh, the the effect of increasing the very attitudes that the uh, professor is trying to purge from their charges. Huh. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because. Students kind of figure out that they're being sold a bill of goods by these people. They get tired of it. Often they feel like they're being cheated, and so it's kind of a, uh, a reaction against this authority figure. <laughs> I mean, the only way to become rebellious is actually re- rebel towards the right. Sure, but um, also to that point, so, that, so to, yeah. that, to that point, um, we have just over the last 40 years just gotten slowly more liberal and more liberal and more liberal. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's it like, doesn't seem like that study is actually – flushed out because if that if that were the case then we ought to be a radically yeah. conservative country no so i think i i think there are a couple of things going on first is that uh i think that peers are more have are, are far more powerful in shaping the political viewpoints of uh of college students than than faculty are you know i'm a professor but you know maybe i should be saying that hey we don't really matter all that much for this. But <laughs> I, I think in some of the evidence does does show that and i also would say that k-12 education is a bigger source of the indoctrination mm. uh, than what happens at college, in college. Uh, mm-hmm. That a lot of the attitudes are are either fixed in college or they end up being shaped by you know what happens in the dormitory. Um, 
or in student clubs or those uh, those those kinds of places. Okay, that, so yeah, that, that, that I, makes I sense. Yes. No, so what about that way? But it's for different reasons. Yeah. So so given your kind of language that you're using, viewpoint diversity. Um, does does yep. the category viewpoint diversity assume that truth only exists in a particular people and experiences, or is, or is, is viewpoint diversity connected to some sort of like objective truth? Uh, so I, I think that what, when we talk about viewpoint diversity, it's just a recognition of the fact that on many political disputes and social disputes or areas of contention, you're inevitably going to have people with different positions. Uh, and so you do need a robust exchange of ideas for a few reasons. One could be that it's just it's necessary to actually to be able to to get closer to the truth. Right. So you kind of test these different ideas. Uh, and if they aren't being tested and challenged, then they just kind of become dead dogma. Uh, and I think that you've seen that in some some academic fields where where certain sure. positions have just become accepted because, hey, we all agree, uh, agree, uh, agree with this. Um, so that's so that's the, the the first the first thing. I don't think it. The second thing, I don't think it uh, assumes in uh, a, a kind of relativism. Though, look, I have my positions, and because they're my positions, I think they're correct. Right? I'm not going to sure. say that you know just because people disagree on things that 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 somehow is an argument for relativism. I think the very fact that people are willing to to disagree on these things points to the idea that there must be an objective truth on many of these questions. Yeah. Um, and our goal is to try, try and get as close to that as possible. And, and just make this practical. One of the things you point out in your TED Talk, and I, I presume also in your book, that I haven't read yet, but um, nevertheless... Did they send us a copy? Uh, I don't think, they I don't think we got one. They, but, they, hey, the, the FDA is currently studying it as a treatment for an insomnia. So, um, <laughs> oh. We might get approval really soon on that. So. Well, in your TED Talk, you point out that you have practical concerns about this, that uh, what happens in the ivory tower has practical ramifications you know, down below, out in the street and in, in everyday life. We've just been talking yeah. about the Jesse Millette uh, story uh, yeah. thing. Surely you've heard about that it. Maybe you've heard about <laughs> yeah. it. Um, oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. And so yeah. I, wanted to, I wanted to ask you, like, what do you think about the whole, the, the, the category of hate crime? And, and then right. I want to tie that to, is the notion that hate can be a crime, is that already a setup that discourages viewpoint diversity? I mean, if you're, if you're in, in in fear of committing a hate crime or you think a hate crime might be committed against you, um, does that ramp up emotions such that people, you know, immediately shut down and feel threatened or attacked because we've created this category of criminalizing hatred? What do you think? Right. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I definitely think there's something to that. Yeah. Um and this is very closely connected to the idea of being a victim, right? Being a, yeah. being a victim yeah. is like yeah. the highest form of currency now. Yeah. Uh, yes. It's like the yeah. sacrament that imparts the most grace, right? Uh, in our culture. Preach, preach. Wow. Um, it's, uh, you know, if you, if you can claim victim status, right, uh, you get elevated to, to sainthood. You're high priest. And you can yeah. clearly see that with, with Jesse Smollett. I mean, this is this is an insane thing to do. I mean, it's crazy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but then if you think about it, I mean, you think about the professional and monetary benefits that could accrue from it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not so crazy. Mm. Uh, and so that's what, I think that's part of what comes from this. And that point about hatred too. I, uh, yeah. So we, we can all identify certain things where people are motivated by, by hatred. Um, I'm uncomfortable though with the idea that there should be like a hierarchy of victims. Right. If someone 
beats someone up because they're a jerk or someone beats the, uh, just because the, the, the perpetrator is a jerk or someone beats them up because they're motivated by hatred. Yeah, I'm not certain that you know our, our criminal justice system ought to rank the vic- one victim wow. more highly yeah. than, than the other. Yeah. You know, that's a different, you know, different kind of question. On campus, though, yeah, you have to you know, hate speech, right? Yeah. Um, and, of course, you know, the, the Supreme Court, this really matters for public universities because we're bound by the First Amendment. The Supreme Court has made, made it clear that there's no such thing as hate speech hmm. um, or that, that hate speech, whatever, however you want to try and define it, is still protected by the Constitution. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And so there's this, this misunderstanding on campuses, and you have lots of students running around saying hate speech isn't free speech, just in, indicating that you know they need to take my class on civil rights and liberty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, so... Uh, it, 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 but it does. It kind of infantilizes people. It teaches them that, look, if you are, are offended by something, then you get to control the rights of someone else, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which that's not how rights work, right? If we have rights, then it's, uh, it's your right. It's not someone else's right to control it. Um, you know, his, historically, yeah, exactly right historically a lot of people saw have recognized that Christianity was actually the worldview that argued for and defended the freedom of speech. Um, even... Uh, I love this quote from uh, David Hume, who's this famous atheist. Mm. He actually said, the precious sparks of liberty were kindled and preserved by the Puritans in England, which is kind of wild. Uh, would you agree um, that actually Christianity is the, the only worldview that actually makes room for true viewpoint diversity? Mm. Or would you argue that there's yeah, some, I, some other ground? No, I actually, I mean, historically, I, I mean... It's not an accident that the very idea of individual rights and natural rights grew out of Christianity and particularly out of Reformation theology. There's a great yeah. book on the, you know, the Reformation of Rights. Yeah. Um, and then you see others, like, you know, for instance, John Milton arguing against licensure schemes in Areopagitica. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. then you have John Locke, who, you know, the Puritans and Locke, who, of course, grew up in a Puritan home, right. some debate about whether or not he maintained his Puritan. I, I, uh, I don't, I, I think he remained a Puritan. Uh, I don't think he was a Socinian or anything like that, which sure. uh, so, some people argue, but regardless, Puritans read him and they were just like, this is kind of like political Calvinism. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. So, you know, this is a, uh, yeah, I hmm. think, I, I think that historically it's very difficult to, to argue against that, uh, uh, that position. So, so Dr. Dunn, where can we get your, your books from and your blogs from? Sure. So, uh, you know, of course, Amazon is always the best place to get uh, to, to get books. You have to search for, you know, passing on the right or, or, or search uh, search for my name. Yeah, I do a lot of writing in different venues. You know, my, most of my work has actually been on the courts and education and education policy. Okay. And so I write for a journal called Education Next. I write a quarterly column for them on the on the uh, on the courts and education, uh, basically looking at cases that have arisen that, uh, indicate, you know, point to um, important conflicts about the, about the law. You know, of course, this is America, so it's always a rich, litigious harvest. <laughs> <lots of> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, you can look, look there and, you know, then I'm always on, you know, well, not always. I actually just kind of dipped my you know, foot into Twitter a few months ago Uh-oh. because people were All right. said, you got to be on there, and it's like a you know it's a cesspool there. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah. we'll look for you there. Look for you on you Twitter. Know, I'm, yeah, I'm still there. And fortunately, I was just reading about uh, an article today from some you know scholar somewhere saying that venting was uh, could be considered a kind of epistemic labor. 
uh, or epistemic work. So now I'm actually going to count all my uh, snide and sarcastic tweets on uh, Twitter as like part of my performance evaluation uh, every year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> significant epistemic labor. So you Uh-oh. can look for me on Twitter, too. So okay, we'll look for you on Twitter. Yeah. Dr. Dunn, thank you for joining us on Cross Politics. When we come back, Matt, do, Matt, Matthew, Truella. Matt Truella. Yeah, oh, Pastor. Pastor Truella, Matt Truella yeah. on the lesser magistrate and how it works. Yeah. Into position. Can't wait to talk to him. Coming up next on Cross Politics. If you are a homeschooler, we have an app for you. Check out Learnly.me. With Learnly, you can capture your family's learning experience anytime, anywhere, and it's all pushed into a digital portfolio that allows you to create classes, grade work, a family learning experience, and generate transcripts all with a single click, something you know all homeschoolers should be doing. And for cross-politic listeners, use discount code LEARNLYCROSS to get 50% off the first three months on a monthly subscription plan on top of 30 days free. So head on over to learnly.me forward slash cross-politic. That's learnly.me forward slash cross-politic. At Logos Online School, we believe learning should be accessible. Homeschooling shouldn't stop you from staying connected. Enjoy classmates from across the United States and the whole world, coming at you four days a week and 32 weeks a year. We believe learning should be engaging, a group of like-minded students who love God and their classmates. Learning should also be customized, with more than 50 different classes offered throughout the day. Take one class or join us full-time. We believe learning should be inspired. Our knowledgeable instructors enthusiastically engage the students. The goal? Hearts that love learning. Lastly, learning should be affordable. Committed to making Christian education reasonable for all families. From $620 per class for an entire year to $2,232 per year for full-time students. The best option on the market. Join us at Logos Online School. Oh yeah! There we go. There's, there's no, there's no. It drops in the second game. Let it. It's gonna drop. Here it goes. And there we, there we go. go. That was kind of fun, you guys. It looked good. Did it look good? You're not supposed to do that, are you? No, no, no. That was uh, a very white moment. Brought to you by. Cross politics. <laughs> Dave Rich and me. We We're have, sorry. We have those We're on the sorry. show. That's okay. I'm Welcome fine. back to Cross Politic on the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thanks for joining us. Share the show, like the show, tag your friends, tag your enemies. Yes. Hey, we're so thankful to have Pastor Matruhella on with us. He is a pastor at Mercy Seat Christian Church Ooh. in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Go Brewers! Uh, he's founder of Missionaries to the Preborn. He's a graduate of Valley Forge Christian College. Through his research and teaching on the biblical duties of the lower magistrate, mm. Pastor Matt came across the Magberg Confession in uh, important historical work that became the first in the history of mankind to set forth uh, sort of a doctrinal format um, for what would later come to be known as the doctrine of the lesser magistrate or the lesser magistrate doctrine. He's the author of the book, shockingly. The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate, a proper resistance to tyranny and a repudiation of unlimited obedience to civil government. It's a great Puritan title right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it needs to be a little longer for a Puritan Pastor title. Pastor <laughs> and his wife, Clara, live in Milwaukee. They have 11 children and nine grandchildren. Woo! Thanks for joining us. Great to have you on the show, Matt. Hey, great to be with all you brothers. And we're actually up to 20 grandchildren now. Oh, <laughs> howdy. Oh, How about Matt, that? Just, just for everybody, tell, tell everybody you baptize your kids. Go ahead. Tell them. <laughs> 
I'm sorry, I'm Credo Baptist. No, <laughs> no Matt, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I have a lot of good friends who are Credo Baptists. Uh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Including on yeah. this show. So, um, can you first briefly just sketch what is the doctrine of the lesser magistrates and why is it important mm. for Christians to understand? Sure. Well, the doctrine simply is that when the higher-ranking civil authority makes unjust or immoral law, policy, or court opinion, the lower or lesser-ranking civil authority has the God-given right and duty not to obey the higher authority, and if necessary, to actively resist. Mm -hmm. And as you know, we have a federal government that's long been outside its constitutional restraints. We have government at all levels doing things that are against the law and word of God, and also going against um, the Constitution itself. So it's massively important for Christians to understand this doctrine. John Knox wrote the foremost treatise ever written on it. Yes, he did. In 1558. <laughs> yep. To his uh, appellation to the Scottish nobles, who were the lesser magistrates of their day. Wow. And he cited over 70 passages of Scripture showing that the doctrine is sound in the Word of God. Mm. And... Um, it needs to be understood by Christians because it's so needed in our day. Right now, we're in this whole mindset that, you know, we have to wait around for the president and then wait till he puts Supreme Court justices in place. Right. And, you know, I've been, wa I'm 58. I've been watching this all my life. Right. And it's sad to watch while they're murdering helpless preborn people, mm. you know, while they have this thing going on where they're totally spitting on the created order of God regarding marriage. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. To see the, the lesser magistrates go along with it totally stands in contradiction to all of Western civilization, what Christian men built within Western civilization, that an unjust law is no law at all, that divine laws trump human ones, mm -hmm. that any law which contradicts the law of God is to be resisted mm -hmm. and not obeyed. Matt, this and is, yet, this is yeah. such a simple um, explanation. Think. It's You'd so think. simple. The law of lesser magistrates, if the if the... If the above governor um, is disobeying God and forcing their people to disobey God, then the, the people who are below him have a duty to resist. Why is this doctrine not taught more broadly in the church? That is a really good question. In fact, my book on the doctrine is the first book written uh, just on the doctrine in the last 300 years. First time. What? First one written. What? And we actually published the first English translation of the Magdeburg Confession, which all the reformers were acquainted with, of course. Huh. And many of our founders were also and understood what was taught in the Magdeburg Confession, which was kind of the founding document of the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, even though it was practiced long before then. And even practice in non-Christian, non-Jewish countries, showing that's natural to man. Yeah. So, um, but yet, I think one of the biggest reasons we don't have it known within modern Christianity is the form of Christianity that the West has embraced, which I refer to as pietism. Mm. You know, this whole idea that we should have nothing to do with civil government matters, which of course is totally contrary to the scripture and the whole history of the Christian church. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, when you look at the history of the Christian church, when you look at the scripture, I mean, the prophets were talking to who? So magistrates. magistrates. Yeah, right. And um, also, when you look at like the apologists, they wrote all their writings to the magistrates mm -hmm. as well as to the people. Look at Calvin's and then you follow history from there. The reformers all talked about 
the importance of talking to the magistrates. Yeah. So well, in, in, yet, the book of, in the book of Acts, you, 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 you're viewed as unspiritual if you're involved in civil government matters. So I want to get real practical right now because so I'm, I'm understanding this. I've been understanding this for a while. I appreciate your work. Absolutely, Matt, on this. But but let's get real practical. Let's go back in time a little bit. Let's go back to 1973, the day after Roe v. Wade. And mm. we have Christian civil mm. magistrates in power. What do they do? And in, in looking at all their spheres, the lower magistrate spheres, how does each sphere operate as far as let's talk about the family, talk about the church and then the civil magistrate. What do they do the day after Roe v. Wade in, in the ideal world? In the ideal world, the governor should have immediately said there will be no one murdered in our state. The legislature should have stood with him and the lower magistrates should have either stood with them or been forced to comply to stand with them. And they should have defied <laughs> Um, the Supreme Court on that matter. Uh, that's that's a, precisely what should have happened. That's immediately. A, that's the Supreme Court. What are you talking about? <laughs> they, <laughs> the Supreme. They're, they're Supreme. It's in the name, man. <laughs> right. What about what no, about the, the church? What should the church do? Well, the church is to stand with the magistrates first off to instruct them in their God-given duty to oppose this bloodshed, this shedding of innocent blood, instruct them from the Word of God regarding their duty, and then to stand with them when they do defy the federal government over such a evil edict. Um, this is a huge important tenet of the doctrine of lesser magistrates. The role of the people is massive. They have to instruct the magistrates. They have to prod the magistrates to do right. And then they have to assure the magistrates that they will stand with them four square, you know, of their possessions, of their persons, of their prayers. Um, if they do do right, both publicly and privately, they'll stand with them. So one of the things, um, that uh, you use the word interposition, which is the idea that um, these lesser magistrates uh, stand up against these unjust laws and measures. You also um, rightly describe that there are these different spheres. So the, the self, you know, each individual is responsible before God for themselves, self-government, family government, church government, state government, and recognizing that all that authority is derived from God. And so therefore that authority is necessarily limited and in, yeah. in our world, obviously, um, we're up against this behemoth, you know, bloated Jabba the Hutt um, fed. <laughs> and and so that's, that's our too kind. <laughs> that's yeah. that, so that's our immediate thought is we got to stop that bloat. Uh, I'll run around the other side, though, with church authority, family authority, individual authority. How do these various spheres practice interposition rightly? But what are the limits also on those mm. spheres of government so that we don't run into somebody else's lane. Exactly. God is the ultimate authority. All of the, of the four great governments are directly under his authority. Um, family government, church government, civil government. Those three governments are designed to produce within the individual self-government. They're all important and they all have limits. Um, the limits of self-government, of course, is to govern your life in accordance with the law and word of God and not as you see fit. Um, when it comes to family government, you know, what are the limits there? Where would interposition need to take place? Well, for instance, if a father told his 12-year-old son, you know, go down to the gas station and rob it because if you get caught, you'll get two months in juvie. But if I get caught, I'll do years in prison. Yeah. Everyone knows the son doesn't have a duty to obey his father in that situation. No one would question him not obeying. And when it comes to church government, you know, if the congregate, a congregant found out a pastor was 
skimming out of the offering plate, and the pastor ordered him not to tell the elders, no one would fault him for telling the elders <laughs> because right. his authority is, has limitations. And it's no different when it comes to civil government. They are to reward those who do good, punish those who do evil. When they pervert their God-given functional role, when they go outside their limitations, they are to be resisted. And so in our culture today, most people have no problem with the first two, you know, that's right. That's um, what I was thinking. family government, yeah. church government. Sure. But for some reason, when you get to civil government, they think you always obey no matter what. Yeah. And you got to always obey the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <No matter> what. <laughs> Everybody's got to obey them. So what about and that's simply not true. Take, hmm. take a take an instance where maybe somebody, though, is is pushing out beyond uh, the sphere. So uh, you're probably familiar mm-hmm. with the, the situation with uh Paul Hill, who was a pastor in the OPC, the PCA, he was defrocked because he believed that it was justified to use violence against abortion doctors. He this was, was back in the 80s, wasn't it? Back in early 90s. Early 90s? Um, okay. Late 80s. Early was, 90s. was he interposing for the unborn as a pastor when he shot and killed the abortion doctor and his bodyguard? Yeah, well, he would he would probably view that as an act of interposition by himself. Right. The problem with that is is that it's important for the magistrates to be prodded to do their duty and not go off alone ourselves. And this is why the this is the beauty of the lesser magistrate doctrine. If like we all show up on the corner with shotguns because we can't we're kind of sick of it and we're not gonna put up with this anymore. Right. The government will make quick work of that. <laughs> but they count on the compliance of the lesser magistrates. The tyrant authority always counts on the compliance of their lesser magistrates in order to get their evil down in the fabric of society. Yeah. And when the lesser magistrates refuse to go along with it, that's when the tyrant authority knows they have a problem on their hands. Yeah. And that's why it's so important for us to rally with our magistrates, our governors, our state officials, our county, even our city officials, um, when they take a stand against gross evil being conducted um, by higher civil authorities. I think it's also worth pointing out that it's you're exactly right. And civil magistrates are good at withstanding other civil magistrates. And God gives his assignments to each of the spheres because it's actually what we're good at. It's actually what we're Mm -hmm. made for. Mm -hmm. And so when pastors preach to civil magistrates, they're actually that's the equivalent of bringing your shotgun. Because it's the sword, yeah. of the, it's the sword of the spirit. It's the sword. It's the weapon that God put in your hand to use in and when, that moment. And yeah. when you use the weapon God gave you, you're at your p- most powerful. Yeah, that's yeah. really good. I tell my fellow churchmen all the time: you have to start meeting with the magistrates. We've been doing it for several years now. Most of them will tell you they're just astounded when a minister shows up to meet with them, mm. because the vast, vast majority are absolutely indifferent towards the state of the nation yeah. or towards political matters or civil government issues. Hmm. So, so Matt, so would you say that's the best thing to do? Cause if somebody's listening right now and they say, listen, I don't have a civil magistrate, <laughs> anybody above me, that's actually going to interpose. So then as a person mm-hmm. who is in the family or, or uh, how do I then engage? What is the best method? Is it going to my, my mayor? Is it going to, how do I engage? How do become the, how do I interpose in my position? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You go to the magistrates in your area and there's people doing it. I, it's so rewarding to see now people around the country actually going to common council meetings mm. and declaring the truth of God's word. And not just to those public meetings where you need to make public proclamation like that, but also to meet with them privately. Yeah. Um, 
and your state legislature legislators um, you know if you got access to the governor the attorney general sit down talk with them establish a relationship with them and always keep a knife to your throat like it says in Proverbs you know because mm. there's something about sitting down with the magistrate people some people just get googly eyed and they figure out why they're doing it you <laughs> have to call them to account you have to encourage them and sometimes you have to actually reprove them also and so this is massively important um, for us to do at this time you saw the huge importance that the apologists played um, in their day in regards to educating the magistrates regarding the Christian faith. Yeah. So I, I've been doing it and it's been in, for several years now and it's been incredibly rewarding even at a personal level. There's been two magistrates here who um, committed their lives to Christ. Amen. Or wow. walking Amen. with him um, <laughs> simply because, in part, because of, you know, our meetings together um, huh. as a pastor. Um, so it's it's extremely important. I've I've spoken at literally hundreds of political gatherings and Christian gatherings over the last four years since I published the book. And um, one of the things I find at the political gatherings after I get done spot, talking about the doctrine of lesser magistrate is people will come up to me privately and say, I gave up on Christ or I gave up on Christianity years ago. But after hearing you as a minister talk about this doctrine the way you just did, I need to re-examine all that. Wow. That's incredibly rewarding wow. to hear people say that. It shows you how Christ impacts men. You know, he speaks to all areas of life and every area of our life. And we have a duty to declare what he has to say about all areas of life, including civil government matters. So, Matt, there's a lot of people right now who are, like you said, they, they feel like engaging the culture this way is not effective. They feel like that, you know, Jesus said his kingdom is not of this world. Just go out there and preach the gospel and engaging your lesser and, and with the lesser magistrate is probably not really what the church it's not gonna is going to do called. any good. It's not going to yeah. do any good, and the church yeah. is not called to that. Could you just speak yeah. to them real quick? I'm going to use your hand to throw a punch. So go ahead. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, the the, um, the pietists. You know, I talked about pietism earlier. I'm not talking yeah. about piety. We should all have piety for the Lord. I'm talking about pietism, which is a movement that started in the late 17th century. The pietists have created a whole host of slogans to neutralize Christians from being involved in civil government matters. The first slogan, above all, is we should just preach the gospel. And I always point out that, well, nobody just preaches the gospel. Do you ever spend time with your wife? Do you play with your kids? Do you ever use the restroom? You know, so first off, nobody just preaches the gospel. Secondly, notice when that comes up, this idea we should just preach the gospel. Like when the latest potluck dinners announced, have you ever heard anyone jump up and say, wait a minute, we should just preach the gospel. <laughs> or when this church softball team is being organized, no one jumps up and says, wait a minute, we should just preach the It's only when you talk about helping the preborn helping some good man get elected, um, defending marriage or something like that, mm. that suddenly they jump up and say, wait a minute, we should just preach the gospel. It is designed to neutralize Christians from being involved in civil government matters. Mm. And God's word addresses all matters, including the matters of civil government, and it's important for Christians to be involved. Because Christians have abandoned that realm, wicked men have filled the void, mm -hmm. and they have instituted their worldview. Yeah their public policies, yeah. and they are destroying lives while we're all sitting around on the side saying, aren't we spiritual mm. for not being involved in civil government matters? Mm. It's crazy. Mm. <laughs> so, Matt, where can people buy your book? Where's the best place that can support you the best? Where, where can people purchase your book at? 
Well, I can get it at Amazon, but if they go to our website, which is defytyrants.com, <laughs> um, <laughs> they can go there. That's good. And we have the book. We have the book available, and when they get it there, we also have some uh, other resources that we send. So you don't just get the book. Oh. One of the things that we send with it, it is an election sermon that I preached to the Montana legislature on the doctrine. It's an excellent sermon, and it's turned many magistrates and many churchmen um, to embrace the doctrine. Wow. Wow. Matt Trello, thank you, sir, for joining us. I, I hope that you start baptizing all those kids and grandkids. I pray for that. <laughs> you know, and don't forget, like, check out his his testimony. If you haven't seen it, I, I read it oh, at Lesser okay. Magistrate. Is it called LesserMagistrate.com? I found his testimony. Oh, really? You didn't share it with That's us. correct. It's it's yep. glorious, Matt. And I just, just want to thank you for sharing how Jesus changed your life because it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful testimony. Mm. Amen. Amen. Man, go find your good thing. If you're single, get married. Marry her. (laughs) Uh, Go have some kids and baptize them. (laughs) Till next week, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politics. Things are changing in the culture and in the church. Issues of race and justice have polarized many of us. And we're left wondering at least these two questions. How did we get here? And why is God allowing this to happen? Well, the answer can be found on a project called The Appendix by Pastor Kirk Kennedy. This is an album and documentary, rightly dubbed an albumentary. The Appendix was designed to help us go on a journey historically up to the present to help us understand how we got here and some ways that we can get out of the current conflict the church is in in a way that honors the Lord. The Appendix can be found at the iTunes Store, Amazon, and WrathandGrace.com. Pick up this albumentary. Prepare to be equipped, enlightened, and challenged. Soli Deo Gloria. Wrath and grace.